Now this Sunday we're coming to the fourth part of the, the book of Ruth that we've been looking at, the Old Testament book of Ruth, which, uh, and we I entitled this series From Ruin to Redemption. And we're going to look at the last part of that this Sunday morning. Before we jump into it, I, I had a conversation this week um, with our daughter, actually. Uh, we were talking about cars because she'd had some car problems. And I said, well, it's a lot better than it used to be. I said, I remember the days when I had cars that you prayed when you got in them every morning. Amen. Oh, you've done it too, right? You, you prayed it would start, right? Right? Every day was an exercise of faith. I thank those cars for bringing me closer to Jesus. But, you know, I, I, I had one car. She was, a, she was an infant at the time. But we lived in a house that had a long driveway up to it. And it was a slope. And, and every afternoon or evening when I got home, I would reverse the car right the way up this driveway. It was a sick shift. And I knew that in the morning, if it didn't start, I had a pretty good run to try to bump start it going down. Right? Right? And it was, yeah, and you know those experiences. And I remember it was sort of around that time, from time to time, you'd be looking for another car, right? And somebody'd say, oh, I know where there was a really good car. It's, it's really good. It's only, it's, it's, it's only five or six years old. It hasn't got many miles on it. And you think, wow, wow, this is sounding good. It's in your budget. That's fantastic. Oh, that's good. It's going to need four new tires. And it's probably going to need a transmission soon, but it's a good car. You know the deal? Yes. It's like, you know, you say to a guy, you need to meet my girlfriend. She's looking to get connected with somebody. And, uh, you know, she's really good. And, 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 well, tell me about your girlfriend because it sounds good. And then she tells you and you think, oh. <laughs> well, that's kind of where we're at in the book of Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with broken down cars, but let me explain, all right? So the book of Ruth, for, for those of you who haven't um, been with us so far, quick synopsis, here we go. Okay, so, so it starts with Naomi. Naomi and her husband Elimelech move from Bethlehem. They go to a place called Moab. They stay there. In Moab, their two sons marry, and then Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, the two sons die, and then Naomi goes back to her home country, to the city of Bethlehem, and one of the daughters, Ruth, goes with her, but they go back heartbroken and broke. And then Ruth decides she's got to do something to help support them, so she does what uh, poor people did then. When the harvest time came, she went into the fields, and the harvesters, anything they left in the fields, poor, the poor folks could come and pick up, and they could take grain. So she's doing that. They called it gleaning. So she's gleaning in the fields. And then it so happened she was gleaning in the fields of a very nice guy called Boaz. And Boaz, it turns out, was actually related in some way to the family. So Naomi says to Ruth, look, here's the tradition in our country because Ruth was a foreigner. Here's the tradition in our country. It is a requirement of our law in our scriptures that if a woman is widowed and has no children, it is the responsibility of the next of kin of her late husband to marry her and raise children to continue the family line. And guess what? This rich, good-looking guy is related to us. 
So she says, here's what I want you to do. When he's done the harvest, when the harvest is finished tonight and they've done the harvest celebration, when he lays down to sleep in the barn to protect the crops, here's what I want you to do. You just go in and you lay at his feet and sleep. And then he wakes up in the middle of the night and what the heck's going on here? And she says, it's like, I can't imagine this. Can you imagine being shocked when you wake up and somebody's in the room, right? And you wake up and says, uh, what, what's going on? And she says, in the darkness, he said, it's okay, it's me, Ruth, you can marry me if you want. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, that's something to wake up to, isn't it? And, 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 and that's, that kind of brings us up to speed. So here we go. Verse 11 of Ruth chapter 3 says this. This is Boaz speaking to her. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are and a real prize. Jackpot. <laughs> right? You can marry me if you want. You got it. All right, here comes the clunker issue. There was a glitch. And then he says, you're right, I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. If he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. So Boaz says, great, I'll marry you. I will do exactly what you're asking, but there's just one issue, this crazy Uncle Charlie. <laughs> right? And crazy Uncle Charlie gets first dibs. And it's like, oh, oh. Because apart from anything else, he, 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 was, he was apparently married already. And I guess Ruth's heart sank in that moment. But Boaz set things up. He, he had a meeting with crazy Uncle Charlie and he said to, he said to him, look, you know the deal. If, if a relative has to forfeit something, and, and apparently there was property involved in this that Elimelech must have forfeited when he fell on hard times, then it's up to the nearest relative they can redeem it. And crazy Uncle Charlie said, I will. And then Boaz said, and just to let you know, if you redeem the land, you've also got to redeem the widow. So you need to marry Ruth and have children by her. And he said, I don't think so. <laughs> he had family already. And how many of you know, once you raised a family, you did your bit, right? It's, it's like, yeah, I've done that, it's okay. And, and he, didn't want to, he didn't want to marry this younger woman and, and, and start to have another family with her. And he said, I can't do it. So Boaz said, okay. I'll do it. So Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a child. And so the continuation of the family line is guaranteed. And the end of the story of the book of Ruth is wonderfully this, that it starts with Naomi and Ruth losing everything and having nothing. And it ends with a whole different picture. Amen. That's why the book of Ruth is also it's, it's a real story. They, they are historic characters, and I'll show you why in a while. 
They're historic characters. But the fact is this. They're also a picture of what Jesus does in the lives of men and women still today. He takes hold of us when we're at our lowest and really have little of value. And he turns everything around and gives us a totally different future. Jesus, our Redeemer. That's what, that's what I just want to focus on today. And hopefully before you sat down, you noticed there was a communion cup on your chair. And uh, I want us, after I finish the teaching, just to share communion together and take a quiet moment to remember we have been redeemed through what Jesus has done. Here's what it says in Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And we will just take a moment to really focus in on that a little later on in our service today. In him, we have redemption. Now, here's, here's a couple of things that the Bible shows us about redemption which is relevant to you and I and was really true of what was happening in the story of Ruth as well. The first thing is this. Redemption pays our debt to God. Redemption pays our debt to God. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he did so many different things. He helped people in a number of different ways. He healed the sick. He met their needs. He stilled storms. He did all kinds of different stuff. But the bottom line is this. For all that he accomplished in three and a half years of his earthly ministry, Jesus came to earth for one reason. He came to give his life and to die. There was an overriding goal that was part of his coming. Matthew 20, verse 28, he said this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to pay the price for our redemption. I'm going to say that again, and I'll explain why then. Jesus came to pay the price for our redemption. I'm going to say that because the, the, the chances are there's at least one person here today who's still thinking you've got to do stuff to pay for your redemption. And you've got to be something to make God accept you. And we need to recognize that Jesus died to pay the price for our redemption. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, it says this, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. Remember, a redeemer had to be linked, related. He took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. 
The book of Romans reminds us there that the, all the Old Testament laws and observances and rules and regulations, that they could never actually deal with sin. They were like the other relative who couldn't redeem Ruth. The Ten Commandments are God's direction for us, but the Ten Commandments can't save us. They just make us realize how bad we are. The Ten Commandments don't rescue us from sin. What they do in the end of the day is they point out our sin. The Ten Commandments are not our Savior. They show us that we need a Savior. And Christ came to redeem us because the law could not do that. The tragedy is sometimes trying to please God through different actions is our go-to. We think that's the way to get eternal life. That's the way to get to heaven. That's the way to please God. And we fail to realize the fact there's nothing we can do in or of ourselves to earn the gift of eternal life. Christ died to redeem us. It is faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone that gives us eternal life. Now, just in case anybody picked me up wrong, I did not just say you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, did I? No, I did not say that. But what I said is we need help to live right. We can't do it by ourselves. But salvation is totally wrapped up in Jesus. If our go-to is trying to be good enough and religious enough and do the right thing, what that leads to, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, that leads to a guilt-laden despair. That leads to living in failure and disappointment. And the fact is for all of you who've might have been or might be still in a position where you don't feel good enough and wonder if you'll make it. Let, let me just read you what it says in Romans 3.20. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Through the law, we became conscious of our sin. You're in good company. Nobody's going to get right with God by their own good deeds. Here's what it says in verse 22 of that chapter. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus, our Redeemer, and through Christ's redemption, our debt has been paid and we find forgiveness. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, it cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. Boaz paid the price for all that Elimelech had forfeited. And Jesus paid the price for the debt that we had accumulated to God and that we could never pay ourselves. In redeeming us, he paid our debt. So redemption pays our debt to God. The second thing I want to say here is this. Redemption sets us free. 
It doesn't just pay the debt. It does far more than that. That's, this is the second part of redemption. Because what was happening is, is in the Old Testament, if someone owed a debt they couldn't pay, they could actually say to the person, so I will work for you to pay off that debt. So basically, they forfeited their freedom and began to work for somebody else because of the debt that they owed. But when they were redeemed, they were set free. They no longer lived for somebody else. They no longer worked for somebody else. The debt had been paid off and they were free. When a widow was redeemed by a kinsman, a whole new life was opened up to her because the whole point of redemption of a young widow was that the person who married her would have children by her and a whole new life would begin. Ruth was about to begin a different life. Ruth was about to begin a family life, something she had not known, experienced before, something she may never have dreamed to have experienced. So not only was the debt paid, but a whole new life was opened up to her. And how many of you know this morning that Jesus not only paid the debt for our sin, but he opened the way to a whole new life for us? Thank God for that. Thank God. It's a new life that we have found in Jesus. We didn't just suddenly start becoming churchgoers and that was the end of it. There's far more to it than that. A whole new life. 1 Peter 1.18 says this, you know that you were redeemed from your futile way of life inherited from your ancestors. You were redeemed from the futile way of life. Came into a different way of life. Psalm 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He has set us free, paid the price for our sin, set us free from our guilt, set us free from the things that would tie us up and that would bind us. And one of the important things for every one of us to get to is this. When Jesus redeems us, he does set us free. And that means when he forgives our past and frees us from the grip of our past, we need to forgive ourselves and we need to walk away from the shackles of the past. Because the reality is this, there's no future in your past. You can't live there. God's let it go and God has set you free. Isaiah 44, I I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. In redeeming us, he sweeps away our offenses. And believing in Jesus leaves us free to live the full life God planned for us. It's amazing how many people are tragically struggling in life and they'll turn here, there, and everywhere for answers. And if you suggest to them that Jesus really is the answer, they'll say, no, I don't think so. And they'll try anywhere else and everywhere else. But they won't turn to the one person who can turn everything around. But thank God that he's opened our eyes. And our mission is to help others to see for themselves that Christ is the giver of life that is full. 
In, in John chapter 20 and verse 31, right at the end of John's gospel, it says this, Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miracles besides the ones told about in this book, but these are recorded so that you will believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and then just look at this closing phrase, and that believing in him, you will have That's it. That's the promise. When you believe, you have life. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So here's the thing. When Jesus redeems us, he not only forgives us, but he sets us free as well. Free to enjoy the life that he died to give us. And then the third thing I want to point out to you is this. Not only do we find forgiveness and freedom when Jesus redeems us, but we find a future. In August of 1990, my, my world was kind of thrown into turmoil. I'd spent the month of July here on Long Island. We were living in Scotland at the time. I'd spent the month of July on Long Island, and a friend of mine had asked me to come over while he was going to be away for the month and asked me to look after his church while he was gone, which I did. Uh, Jill and I and the kids, we, we left to go back to Scotland the day before he arrived home. So after he'd been home a couple of days, I called him just to make sure I hadn't screwed everything up in the church, you know. So, so, I, so I called him, asked him how he was doing, and he said, look, here's what I feel after this time away. I feel that you were the man to lead this church forward and not me. And I want to step back next year and will you come over and will you lead this church? Now, when you hear it, that's just a question, right? No, it's not. It's a thing that messes up your whole life, right? <laughs> right? And suddenly I'm, I'm thinking, it's like, yeah, so here I am. It's like, you know, will you move from the country you're in to this country? Will you leave the church you're pastoring and come to this church? Will you leave your relatives over there and come to New York? You know, will you leave your children in school in Scotland and you yourself be in America? And here's the one that really got me, all right? Now, you've got to be... All right, let me say before I say this, I'm a totally U.S. citizen. I'm one of you, okay? But... but <laughs> But, but let me say this, but let me, at that point, you know what I thought about? I thought, if we go to America, our children might marry Americans. <laughs> I, I, no, no, really. And then, and then, and then our grandchildren will be Americans. Now, don't get me wrong, but if you watched any TV yesterday, the Brits get a few things right, don't they? It's like, suddenly we won't be, you know. So, so as our family continues, it will be an American family. All right, now, obviously you know how that story turned out. And I'm blessed to have American uh, in-laws and grandchildren and great-grandchildren nowadays. But, but those were some of the thoughts. I'm thinking about our family's future will not be Brits. I was thinking about that. The future. And, and when Boaz redeemed Ruth, it was all about giving the family a future. 
And when God redeemed you and me, He not only wanted to forgive us, He not only wanted to set us free, but He wanted to give us a future as well. A future as the family of God. Now, what happened in the story of Ruth is this. In, in Ruth 4 and verse 22, it says this. So they married, and then it says, Boaz had Obed. He didn't really, Ruth did, but anyway. What, what they did in those days, it was all, it was always, the family line was always, it was always through the father. Boaz had Obed. But then as you read on, Obed had Jesse. And Jesse had David. Now, those are just kind of old Bible names, but they're not. The, the, that, is, that is the David of killing Goliath fame. That is the David of the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, and a whole bunch of other Psalms as well. That is the David who was the king of Israel. So suddenly, this foreign woman from Moab, Ruth, who had nothing and no future, all of a sudden, one of Israel's greatest kings is actually her grandchild. Now, if you jump over to the book of Matthew, Matthew takes the story on a little bit further than that. Matthew says, uh, Matthew 1.6 says, says, Boaz had Obed, Ruth was a mother. She gets some credit there in Matthew, right? <laughs> Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David became king. Now, if you miss out a whole string of names, like half a chapter of names, okay? I'm going to do that because you don't want to hear them and I can't pronounce them, okay? But then we're going to jump back in at verse 15 where it says this, Eliad had Eleazar, Eleazar had Mathan, Mathan had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph, Mary's husband, the Mary who gave birth to Jesus, the Jesus who was called Christ. Where did that start? Ruth and Boaz. And it's, 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 it's followed. That's why I say they're historic characters because the whole family line and family history is right there in the beginning of the book of Matthew. So out of Ruth, who came back to Bethlehem as a foreigner, didn't speak the language, had nothing, lived in dire poverty, what actually happened when she was redeemed, she became part of a future that she could never, ever have even imagined. And that, folks, is what God has done for you and me as well. Amen. Hallelujah. When God saved us, when Christ redeemed us, we were given a future. 1 John 3, 2 says this, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. The book of Ruth is a beautiful story of redemption, from ruin to redemption. And it's a great illustration of what God does in the lives of those who come to trust him. And if you know the Lord for yourself today, I want to encourage you 
to just relish the fact that you're redeemed. That means you are totally forgiven. That means you are absolutely set free. And that means that God has promised you a future that you can't even imagine. And if you're here today or watching me online and you've never really come into a committed relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning to just open your heart to him and say, Lord, I recognize you as my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord. Forgive me, set me free, and give me a hope of a future, I pray. Let's just pray together.